Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group. We're talking about the current pandemic, and we're talking with one of the world's leading pandemic experts, Regina Phelps. Regina, thanks so much for joining me again. You're welcome, Tom. My pleasure. So the World Health Organization has declared we're at level six. What does this mean? Well, you know, this has been the long-awaited announcement. Uh, the WHO has been building this up for the last two weeks. And in reality, we've actually been at a six for maybe about three or three and a half weeks now globally. I think when you look at what a six actually means to us right now, is it, is it much different than it was two days ago? No. But what it is is a confirmation of widespread uh, global uh, illness for this novel virus known as H1N1. And you're particularly seeing that right now as it explodes across the southern hemisphere. What does it mean to us uh, here in the United States, or for that matter, anywhere in the world? It means that this is our first pandemic of influenza since 1968. Currently, right now, it has what is known as moderate illness. That was, by the way, upgraded from the WHO announcement originally a couple of weeks ago when it was described as a mild illness. The very um, minimal impact this might have is that we're going to have a very, very, very bad seasonal flu season in the northern hemisphere. The worst case scenario is that it could be a much more significant illness that would have protracted um, outages in work as well as illness and fatalities across the globe. Given what we know now, Regina, how should financial institutions and government agencies respond to the news? Well, I think the first thing they need to do, Tom, is they need to really pull out their pandemic plan, and I hope they have one. Uh, if they don't have one, they're certainly going to have to move quickly because for your listeners to keep this in perspective, there's 109 days until the seasonal flu season returns to the northern hemisphere. So I would encourage all of your listeners, first of all, to put a big calendar up on their wall and count down to August, oh, excuse me, October 1st, which is the beginning of the seasonal flu season. So what does it mean for all of us? We need to look at our plans very seriously, and we need to think about what would we do if we have a just simply severe flu season with something like between 30 and 70% of your population, that's your employees, your clients, your customers, your vendors, your emergency responders, your community being sick. Uh, and influenza will be an illness that will last approximately 10 days to two weeks. How would they be able to respond in that regard? So. That's a critical issue, and I think there are four things I think that they need to think about very quickly. Uh, one is how are they going to be able to communicate and what are they going to be saying to their key stakeholders for the next um, few months and their areas of preparation, and how are they going to educate all of these individuals as to what they're doing to be better prepared for the pandemic and when it actually reaches um, our illness levels that we forecast. Secondarily, they're going to have to really look at issues related to cleaning because cleaning will be critical. They're going to have to look at things such as social distancing. How can they separate us from each other, ideally about six feet? And that's not only from our coworkers but our uh, customers. And then also they're going to have to look at the question of will I be purchasing or procuring any personal protective equipment such as masks, which by the way now are almost impossible to get your hands on anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere, and if people don't have masks and they think they need them for their pandemic initiatives, they better order them now. Well, 
How, I mean, you've traveled a fair amount in recent weeks. How do you feel that organizations have responded to this point, to the progress that we've seen? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've actually been uh, all over Europe in the last um, two months. I've probably been in about 15 countries. I just finished doing a work assignment for a global client who of mine who is a bank uh, in the U.K., and I was in London and Dublin. Interestingly enough, just in the difference of the response between the U.K. government and the U.S. government, as an example, is really amazing. The U.K. government has launched some incredible uh, public service announcement and initiatives, public education that far surpasses what we're seeing here in the U.S., which is um, wonderful to see and a little bit discouraging if you happen to be a U.S. citizen. But what I would encourage all of your uh, listeners to do is to actually Google uh, some program that's in the U.K. that is called Catch It, Bin It, Kill It. And it's essentially a very quick, fast, creative program that's been put out by the National Health Services in the nation of the United Kingdom for really talking about health education for the masses, and that's something that um, I would encourage your listeners to look at. As far as what um, I've seen a response as far as uh, financial institutions in particular, I think everybody has pulled out their plans very seriously in the last two or three weeks in particular, well, certainly since the end of April. Uh, I think there was a little pause of hope uh, in many people's minds at the beginning um, of uh, June thinking, well, maybe it's going to change, maybe it's going to go away. But as the southern hemisphere has exploded, I think people will begin to be really much more realistic. So what I'm seeing my clients in the banking world do is to pull out their plans, see what they need to do to, to improve them quickly, uh, and understanding they have a very limited amount of time. So that's what I'm seeing now is a lot of rush and a lot of energy towards uh, making some real significant process improvements. What's the pandemic taught us so far, Regina? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think what it's taught us, the first thing that you, when, when you ask me that question that comes to mind is the fact that it has taught us that um, human nature still has a tremendous amount of denial about it. And I think the thing that I think is interesting in particular is, is that even though I see a lot of forward motion, everybody I speak to has two sort of significant questions they ask. And this is where the denial piece, I think, comes in. And maybe this is just simply human nature. The first question I'm almost always asked is, how is it possible that the medical community globally doesn't know what's going to happen, which is sort of interesting, right? And then secondarily, kind of right behind that, there's this belief that medical science is going to rush right in at the last minute and save us. And I think that's what it's taught me is that we still have this great hope that something is going to change, and maybe I will also put around that a little bit of denial. And I hope what we are learning as we are hearing over and over and over again, we don't know what's going to happen, and secondarily, medical science is not going to save us, that we will actually take that very seriously and move forward. I was just with some uh, uh, individuals uh, yesterday from the Department of Homeland Security who reiterated again that, you know, we haven't even selected exactly the movement yet on the seed vaccine for the H1N1. And so even if we started tomorrow, if it was able to be produced starting tomorrow, that it would still be a good six months before vaccine is going to be available. And when it's available, it's going to be, first of all, given to a list of key individuals of which the government has not yet determined who that is. So what has it taught us? 
we need to really uh, buckle down. We need to accept this as something that is really going to happen and that we need to really make some forward progress. You know, it strikes me that people have watched this like they would watch a storm, like suddenly it's going to blow off course and, and not hit the coast after all. Mm-hmm, exactly right. And and there's a lot of, you know, uh, all your all your digits of your fingers being crossed and a little bit of uh, praying, if you will. And, uh, and uh, yeah, people are watching this happen in real time, and yet there's a, a tremendous amount of denial still that exists today. Now, you've given us a good sense of what to expect over the next 100 days and to prepare. What should we be communicating to employees and customers now? That's a really good question, and I will say to you, I think that's one of the most important and responsible things that any of your listeners can be doing is your corporate communications groups or your communication groups that any of the folks listening to this broadcast really need to take this seriously. And what I would suggest is the following, is that they need to, first of all, clearly identify who all of their stakeholders are. And that is a little bit of a project when you really stop and think about it, and I would almost encourage a bunch of folks getting in a room and whiteboarding that. Then once you've identified who those stakeholders are, then the question is, is who owns that relationship? Who is the primary form of communication to those uh, stakeholders? Then what needs to happen is we need to determine what the messaging is. And that messaging right now, I would believe in my mind, is we're taking this seriously. We uh, are working very hard to uh, update and upgrade our pandemic plans. We are working to make sure that our work environment will be safe that our customers will be safe doing business with us, and we're doing everything within our power to make this happen in a timely manner. Uh, And then I would say that they're going to need to think of all the the initial messaging that's going to happen after that. What happens when they get the first case of uh, H1N1 in their facility? What happens when they have an employee who's seriously ill? What happens when they have an employee who dies? And think of what's going to happen in those communication strategies. Then the last key thing I think they need to look at is they need to determine what are the tools they're going to use to communicate. And there's lots of choices, of course. Would it be their website? Would it be a voicemail? Would it be email? Would it be Twitter? Would it be uh, SMSs? Would it, you know, what, what's the form of communication going to be taking? And that will be critical also if indeed what we have is a very serious pandemic and some impacts to the actual telecommunication systems. I encourage everyone to have multiple channels of communication uh, so that they have a lot of opportunity to get the word out. So I think identifying stakeholders, uh, determining who the ownership of that is, determining the messaging at some, several key triggers in this event, and then what are all the tools that they need to be doing, using in order to be able to communicate effectively. Very good. Regina, as always, I appreciate your time and your insight. You're welcome, Tom. My pleasure. We've been talking with Regina Phelps about the pandemic. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.